Welcome to Tech Enabled. I'm your host, John Bailey, a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. In each episode, we feature a conversation exploring the challenges and opportunities raised by emerging technologies. Our hope is that Tech Enabled will introduce you to new entrepreneurs, new thinking, and stimulate new ideas as we tackle the pressing challenges that lie ahead of us. Today, we're joined by Angie Cooper, who is the Chief Programming Officer of Heartland Forward, a Bentonville, Arkansas-based Think and Do Tank, focused on advancing economic performance and opportunity in the center of the country. For more than 16 years, Angie worked in international and domestic public policy and government affairs for Walmart, most recently as the Senior Director of Global Public Policy. Today, we discuss the renaissance occurring in the Heartland and the ways that Heartland Forward is supporting the next generation of innovation and entrepreneurship. Angie also shares some of their recent research around regional economic competitiveness, which is timely given the competitive funding opportunities created by the Infrastructure Bill, CHIPS Act, and the Climate Tech provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act. Finally, we discussed the Connecting the Heartland initiative, which aims to ensure families have the high-speed affordable internet service necessary for full participation in life in the digital age. Angie shared how they are helping families sign up for the Affordable Connectivity Program and also an innovative partnership with Lead for America and Lando Lakes to support an American Connection Corps. And now, on to our conversation. Angie Cooper, thank you so much for joining us today. First, talk about the mission of Heartland Ford. What is it, what is it Heartland Ford is trying to advance right now? John, thanks so much for having me and um, look forward to the conversation. So a little bit about Heartland Forward. We are a policy think and do tank. Uh, We are based in Bentonville, Arkansas, and uh, we define the heartland as 20 states. So think everything from North Dakota down to Texas, over to Alabama, up to Michigan, Ohio, and all the states in between. So as a think and do tank focused on the heartland, the middle of the country, we are a public 501c3, really with the mission, very simple. How do we help change the narrative about the middle of the country? And how do we kickstart economic growth? We have a whole team of in-house economists. We work with other external fellows on the research side and have studied everything from um, entrepreneurship and where there's opportunities to grow entrepreneurship in the heartland, to reshoring, to um, ec- overall economic development, and um, and what we'll dig into a little bit deeper around broadband. Um, yes, we studied broadband before COVID hit, um, like many others in the space. Um, but then I lead our programmatic and policy side of things, along with our flagship event, the Heartland Summit. And really, with programs and research, it's how do we um, take our research and put it into action? And how do programs drive future research? Because we believe you got to have the data um, and the insights to be able to do the work on the ground. And, and really, it's focused on um, we our work is how are we a resource and some key main pillars, innovation and entrepreneurship, health and wellness, uh, human capital and workforce development, and regional competitiveness. My gosh, so much things. I want to talk about the the entrepreneurship and the innovation, but real quick, you you mentioned at the uh, at the beginning that some of this is about changing the narrative of the heartland. Like, just unpack that a little bit more. Like, what is the what is the narrative that you're trying to 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 change from and to? I think um, starting with just kind of the innovation entrepreneurship, we know that that can happen 
all across the country. But still, when we look at the research and reports that we've done around where um, young firms, your firms under five years are growing, it's on the coast and the heartland is lagging behind. So we need um, the investors to recognize and, and, and really see it firsthand that there is innovation that can happen in the middle of the country. And how do we tell those stories? Um, we have... People are always surprised when I say I work for Heartland Forward. They think I work on rural issues, and that is just not the case. Um, The Heartland is actually those 20 states I defined is the third largest economy behind the U.S. and China. And, And when I say that, people say, wow, I didn't think about it in that way. But we have some of the largest cities that are driving our economy. So how do we think about um bringing that together and uh, informing people on the coast, getting them to the heartland. There's so many amazing, amazing places to see and people that are doing great things, um, which is one thing we really try to highlight at our flagship event, the Heartland Summit. Um, but those are those are some of the things that we focus on of just telling the stories about the great things that are happening and some of the, the interesting, unique policies that are being um, created in the heartland and, and driving forward for the rest of the country. Now, it's so important. It's uh, I remember, you know, Steve Case with Rise of the Rest has been you know preaching this for a number of years now, too, that, you know, entrepreneurs are everywhere, but investors aren't like I think the. The number that is like really sort of stubbornly stuck has been uh, 75% of venture capital is invested in the San Francisco Bay Area, Boston, and New York, which means if you're an entrepreneur anywhere else, you're competing for that small slice of the the 25%. Uh, And I know too, from Heartland Summit, you just do such a great job elevating the amazing entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystems that are popping up in the States. How else are you helping to support this this new generation of entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think you hit it. And we, you know, we believe it's going to take a lot of organizations working together to to help solve for this. But it's no longer the time for an economic development director to be thinking like, I'm going to get a a regional sized business or a big business to come to my town and we're going to announce the headline of a thousand new jobs. Yes, we want that to continue to happen in the heartland, but we really got to build our talent from the ground up. And and when we th- and we want economic development directors to start kind of modernize policies and the way they think about that. And um, some of the stats you said about sort of where where the investment is going, um, we're we're running a program right now um, that is in partnership with a number of communities across the heartland and with the potential to do some statewide programs with some economic development directors. But it's it's taking that concept of entrepreneurship. The average person doesn't think they can be an entrepreneur. We've sort of made it unattainable because when you say entrepreneur, we've now kind of put it in our minds that like it's the next unicorn we're trying to find. Um, Or, you know, you got to be ready for like big dollars. Um, Our program is going back to the very beginning stages. Um, And we're partnering with an organization called Builders and Backers. Mm. We actually call our entrepreneurs that go through our idea accelerator builders. Hmm. And it's it's really cool, John, because it's average people in a community, they apply with an idea of how uh, to maybe problem solve for something happening in their community, 
all the way to a scalable business, a small business, main street business to potentially a new tech platform or, you know, crazy innovation again, that people might not think it's happening in the middle of the country, but these builders go through this 90 day idea accelerator halfway through, we give them a $5,000 pebble grant, and then it gives them the opportunity to test their idea and potentially scale. What's great about it from an economic development um, perspective, especially as we're looking at and conversations around sort of the labor crisis, the great resignation, um, people that apply, we only know their idea. We know nothing else about them. And the majority of applicants and people going through the program um, are women and people of color. So we know that there's a gap there that we need to try to close. And And our program's great because you can start with idea and you don't have to quit your job or quit school or you know go broke trying to get a loan. Um, you can test it and, and be supported by master builders and backers throughout the process. So we're really excited and we've seen some great progress and, and some businesses already scaling through the program. That's fantastic. Is there a particular business like that sort of exemplifies this that sort of is just really resonated with you that's coming out of the program? Yeah. So we have, oh my gosh, it's hard to pick um, specific <laughs> ones. Pick, favorite, but, but pick, <laughs> pick yeah, one of the Yeah. So, I mean, we have everything from, you know, a simple idea of, you know, there's a food desert in a community and, you know, instead of an ice cream truck, it's a, a, a local produce truck. Um, that is going around the communities to um, supporting small businesses and um, creating a platform where you can build one cart um, online um, for just, you know, the small businesses that you're shopping with in your community. Um, so it is, it's a great mix of, like I said, both that kind of social entrepreneurship, solving a problem for a community um, to scalable businesses. It's also allowing for people to stay in their communities. So it's like the stickiness of kind of civic engagement and, oh, wait, my idea does make sense. And now the mayor wants to talk to me about my idea. And we're changing zoning laws because a simple idea, um, you know, came to us from a policy perspective. So we're excited about growing the program and working with all the communities um, we are working in the heartland today. So cool. It's so cool too, because like, I mean, often the best entrepreneurship are the ones closest to the problem. And you just have different kinds of challenges and problems in different parts of the country. So the fact you're empowering entrepreneurs, I, I know from you, you've done such a good job highlighting this at the Heartland uh, Summit, too. But at, App Harvest, another great example of just, you know, an amazing company. I think it's a unicorn now that uh, is able to do these in high tech indoor farms. It's growing like 30x more food with 90% less water. And I, it just, it just feels like you're going to see a whole generation of uh, new solutions coming out of um, the heartland, but also some of the programs that you're, you're cultivating. I mean, talk, I know part of the innovation agenda is also economic competitiveness. So how are you thinking about economic competitiveness? What is your research uh, suggesting and what are different ways that you're helping to sort of boost the economic prospects of the, the heartland? Yeah, we kind of go after this, John, is um, really at the end of the day to boost economic um, and get people to stay in our communities, move to our communities. It's all around quality of life. So you got to have, um, you know, the right things in place um, to ensure that 
uh, our communities support quality of life. And when, you know, I think traditionally, sometimes when we've said quality of life, we've thought like arts and culture and um, tourism, but it's, it goes much more beyond that, right? So quality of life from an economic standpoint is, do we have the best um, healthcare systems? And, um, you know, we know that rural America is challenged just as much as urban America is around health. Do we have, you know, the right businesses that are growing? Are we training our workforce, um, both in kind of the traditional K-12 all the way through community colleges and four-year degrees? Um, We believe that there should be strong partnerships with universities and communities and and sort of the whole conversation around tech transfer and um, dollars that are going into future research to really build communities um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, you got to have the technology and, and the broadband um, to get people connected because we're a strong believer in the work that we're doing around connecting the Heartland to high speed Internet. If you're not connected, it's really hard to search for a job, do a job, train for a job. It's hard to get that health care you need through maybe telemedicine or other innovations. Um, it's certainly going to impact our overall economic competitiveness um, in the heartland and across the country. So, you know, those are the things that we really focus on and and try to go deep with communities because the challenges is everything I just mentioned around what makes the quality of life and economic success. It's not a one size fits all approach. So you need organizations like Heartland Forward and many others that I like to say are rolling up our sleeves and like on the ground every single day in these communities um, supporting um, the communities and driving action. You mentioned broadband and this is, I mean, one of the most impressive things that I've seen Heartland Forward do is just um, really step up in a way and in, in with broadband, especially as it relates to a lot of the federal funds, because I, I think a, a lot of folks are just sort of mistaken that, you know, Congress passed billions of dollars to help close the digital divide and help build out both Broadband networks is also to help make it more affordable for individuals, but the implementation is just really complex and really difficult. And you've you've launched a number of different initiatives uh, aimed at just not just smart implementation of the federal funds, but also just helping uh, expand broadband. Talk a little bit about about your approach here. I think in the, the title of the initiative is connecting the heartland. Isn't that, that so? To talk a little bit about what are all the different components of that and how you're approaching the work. Absolutely. So connecting the Heartland Forwards initiative, connecting the Heartland to high speed Internet um, launched about a year and a half ago. Like I said earlier, we did do research on broadband pre-COVID, but like many others, it it put us COVID put a spotlight right on the fact that so many people in our states and communities are not connected. We kind of took the approach that a couple of different things. How do we um, bring together all levels of government, state and local? Um, And then like many other, it's an availability issue, it's an adoptability issue, and it's an affordability issue. And John, the worlds that we live in, you know, you say $65 billion coming down from the federal government. And we are like, that's a lot of money. Like we have all kinds of ideas on how to spend that. But really, it comes down to uh, the work that we're doing is um, 
it's it, it goes back to you know our states and our communities are stretched from a government standpoint so it's a capacity issue mm-hmm. you know many states still don't have a broadband director and if they do have a broadband director they're riding solo and and jealous of the states that have been able to hire so we've really created in the work that we do around um how do we how do we smartly spend the 65 billion dollars in states of look, we're going to sit with you, state broadband offices, and and really how do we build these public-private partnerships? So the capacity um, of, of the work that needs to come out of the broadband office. We've also looked at it from a, you know, the big federal dollars, a lot of it will go to building the infrastructure, right? And and the what we look at is we're ne- technology neutral because we got to get people connected as soon as possible. Um, but we've got it again, going back to connecting um, people at all levels of government. We got to ensure the state broadband office is talking to the communities and the communities are compa- um, prepared to build their plan. So we're partnering with an organization called Bitten Institute and running what we call an accelerate program. Um, it's a 14 week program with uh, local communities, about 15 individuals, leaders, people that care about their community coming together um, to build their broadband plan. That's from an infrastructure side of things. That's from a digital equity side of things. That's from an affordability and digital skills. And we've seen the success of the program specifically in Illinois, Ohio, and Arkansas, and and hopefully a few other states in the heartland coming um, of, of communities building their plan and hopefully, you know, they will be first in line when the grants start coming out because not only is there a capacity issue in a state broadband office, but, you know, I'm a daughter of a former mayor from, you know, Northwestern Oklahoma. And I remember when my dad was mayor, like it was a part-time job and he wasn't getting paid. People forget that our local government in most cases are part-time jobs. So they need that public private support so that's what we're trying to deliver. And then we're really stressed on like, if if we're going to build the infrastructure, we're going to spend the dollars, we better make sure the service that's provided um, is affordable for the people that need it. So we've done a lot of work in, um, in relationship with the um, FCC about as they rolled out the affordable connectivity program, um, you got to do some simple things. We can't just roll out programs like that online. For people that aren't online. So, you know, we've trained librarians to make sure communities get the information they need and eligible households for that $30 for service through the affordable connectivity program. We've put up build- billboards, radio ads, sent out flyers and and partnered partnered with folks like LULAC to really engage in the Hispanic community. And we've seen progress, right? We've seen more people getting signed up so they can get access Um for the infrastructure that's there today and the infrastructure that's coming in the community. So it's a lot of education um, and really hands-on support. But again, like the other issues I mentioned, it's not an umbrella, one size fits all approach. Like we gotta be strategic and smart in these states and communities to really help them move forward. The affordable connectivity program, you know, is, is amazing in terms of the support to make it affordable for families and individuals to purchase broadband. 
But the the one thing, and I remember the FCC being so frustrated, they didn't have a ton of outreach money. And the problem is you just can't throw up a website. You can't just do a webinar because the people are connected. And it, right. it really is a lot of shoe leather. It's going door to door. It's going to kind of where people people are in just uh, the same way we uh, had to sign people up, whether it's for Affordable Care Act or you had to go out and get people uh, to fill out census forms or get out the vote. It's almost a similar type of strategy. And I, I know... I have heard so many great things from the FCC uh, staff who just hold your program up uh, as like a best practice because they they needed folks out in the field to step up and, and help with those signups. And you're doing that. You also have a pretty incredible partnership with uh, Lead for America and Lando Lakes to support something you're calling the American Connection Corps. But what is what is what does that involve? Yeah. So Lead for America is a great organization. They're all about. Um, how do they take recently graduated students, take them back to their hometown to pro- problem solve and help support community challenges and opportunities? And we partnered with Land Lakes and, and many other um, funders. And there's 50 American um, Connectivity Corps fellows uh, across the country. And, and we're supporting a number of fellows in our four targeted states, Arkansas, Tennessee, Illinois and Ohio. But these fellows um, are working on significant issues. Um, think we have one fellow that's in the Tennessee broadband office. We have a fellow that's in the mayor of Little Rock's office. We have other fellows that are working for nonprofit organizations. They have really focused a lot on um, the affordability piece. So what we just mentioned, John, about um, getting making sure people know if they're eligible um, for ACP and how they get that going forward. And then um, they're working a ton on digital literacy. So we have a fellow um, in Tennessee that is just launching a program with a number of community partners around um, that digital literacy for students and teachers. Again, going, I, I say it a lot, but going back to that capacity issue, if you think most school districts, they have most school t- districts in the heartland probably have one IT director for whole district, yeah. right? And so that is the one person that not only purchases the devices and makes sure it's connected, but answers all the questions um, for, you know, the IT for a whole school district. So um, our fellow is running a program to train more teachers on that kind of digital literacy and I um, technical needs, not just for today, but for the future, right? So our teachers are being asked um, to, to know more about technology and, and think about new creative ways of teaching our students, but we haven't really trained them on those creative things that they should be coming up with. So that's one of the initiatives that a fellow is working on and um, we'll be focused a lot more on kind of, again, that adoptability side of the pillar. Um, we're really excited. Um, another kind of future thing, John, um, that we think is really important around broadband is um, going into legis- state legislative sessions next year. Like we've got to make sure that we don't create um, additional layers um, that delay the process and these communities getting the funds. Um, and then there's a huge workforce need. Um, you know, we know in the state of Arkansas today at this minute, there's 300 jobs open just to lay the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include the IT tech. So 
you know, we're looking at how do we, how do we help states, um, train and educate the workforce now, because not all the federal dollars are coming tomorrow, right? So how do we plan for the future? So we have jobs um, and and that goes all the way down through, are we training them from, you know, eight through 12th grade to then get into some technical skills and training into community colleges? So these are good jobs um, for people. So what are the state policies that you know, your sort of experience of research has surfaced that states can enact to either remove barriers uh, to broadband uh, access or, or adoption or to accelerate it. Uh, what are what are the, the ones that you're seeing most frequently that kind of provide a menu for states to to that the states should be pursuing in the next couple of months here? Yeah, what I what I would recommend is. Um, Yes, there's got to be oversight and how the dollars are being spent. And a lot of state legislators have um, different, you know, levels of how they do that. But but let's ensure let's ensure that we don't create too many layers um, that it slows down the approval for the communities um, that that need it most. I think um, we're also looking at many states uh, have built plans around. Um, you know, they've gone out and done their own state mapping and that's great. And the legislative process has has allowed for that in many cases, but, you know, being prepared once the FCC maps come out, that the states are really ready and solid on their state plan. So if if there's challenge opportunities, they can move forward. Um, There are discussions, you know, around, you know, what is the right infrastructure? Should we be open to certain technologies? Um, what's the criteria for the providers um, that are actually going to receive the funds to go do this? And I just think, you know, the legislative process, we got to take a, a look at this. And, you know, we talked about entrepreneurship before, and this is a, a wide open space, I think, for innovation and entrepreneurship. And we got to allow that to happen. And we can't limit that through legislative processes. And then, you know, we'll continue to see states look at, you know, municipal opportunities. And um, maybe that doesn't work in every state, but maybe it works in some, you know. And so I think we got to be open um, and really engaged in the process. And it's, I think, having new voices like, you know, the Connecting the Heartland Initiative and other voices in the conversation through the legislative process will help us get there. Yeah, the the broadband mapping, it just it's you have to be you have to be super in the weeds to understand just how important it is. But the FCC is working on their map, but governors and states can be working on their own maps too to help identify unserved areas that have no infrastructure and underserved areas that may have infrastructure but not at the speeds that you know many of us would would think is is broadband or is needed for the kinds of applications that you were just sort of talking about and. Um, and so the, it, it's so important for governors to have their own. I know like there's a couple, Microsoft has a, a, a pretty robust broadband mapping tool that they're making available. And I've seen a couple governors, but it's amazing that you're, you're helping them uh, just take those steps to prepare for this. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, we were just talking about, um, you know, broadband, but, you know, in, in the time since the, the broadband funds have passed from the American Rescue Plan and the infrastructure bill, all of a sudden now we have uh, the CHIPS Act uh, to strengthen America's competitiveness. We have the new Inflation Reduction Act, which also has uh, you know 
billions available for climate. And the one thing I was noticing is that so many of the funds right now uh, are getting packaged as part of programs that go out as part of regional competitions or or to other parts um, of the country. There's $10 billion to build regional tech and innovation hubs. There's uh, $8 billion for hydrogen hubs. There's $3.5 billion for direct air capture hubs. You know, there's all these sort of research hubs and competitiveness programs that are getting, you know, funded through NSF to help strengthen competitiveness out in the field, which is amazing. But also this this feels like it's an opportunity for the heartland because of so many of uh, the geology for some of the climate programs, but also because of the amazing research universities and because of the talent that you were talking about. Like, how are you thinking about um, and how is Heartland Forward playing with just like regional competitiveness and making sure that all the different players are able to to successfully compete for some of these funds and for some of these these designations? Yeah, it's um, there's a lot going on, right, John? I mean, going on. Yeah. And and a lot of funding, um, which is good. We will take it. But we've got to we've got to have some plans um, on, on how we get this done. And we we love the regional competitive sort of competitiveness. How do we bring regions together? How do we leverage assets and resources to make these things successful? Um, we even want to see more of it, and we should break down policy barriers for this too, for it to happen across state lines. Yeah. Um, because there's, I mean, our whole country is, you know, they're, we're all connected and, and there's so many assets and resources, um, across state lines that can be used. I know Arkansas and Oklahoma, two heartland states are looking at this, um, from, you know, how do they work together on some innovation things around, um, the future of mobility, right. And, and they have, they actually have companies that are on either side, um, of the state borders um, that will be continuing to advance and grow. So I think it's a positive thing. I think you it's going to be really, really important because in some of these places where, um, you know, you could say like Intel announced they're going to Columbus or other companies going into some of these smaller communities in the heartland, it's great, but we got to build the infrastructure. So, you know, what is the infrastructure around not just traditional infrastructure, but the health and the quality of life and, and all the things that come into it. Um, and we got to get people there. Um, it is more important than ever that we're thinking about how we train our students for the jobs of the future and that we're continuing to train our workforce for the jobs of the future. So I see that really John as the biggest opportunity for these regional hubs um, because some of them are being put in places that the traditional workforce would probably never think about going. We like that from a Heartland perspective, but like, how do we, how do we train the talent that is there today to be able to participate? Yeah. In some ways, like the timing of this couldn't come at a better time. Like you, you've had, I mean, one of the upsides of the pandemic has been just the, rises sort of remote work or working from anywhere. And so you have this influx of amazing talent leaving some of the coastal hubs, moving to uh, the heartland because of better quality of life. But now they can still work with your builders in those areas. So they can still stay connected into some of their other jobs. 
but it's like the perfect time given that sort of flux of like incoming talent, cultivating new talent to take advantage of some of the, the programs here. All right. So last, last question. I, the Heartland Summit is just, um, uh, you know, one of the best events in the country. And uh, you, you had an amazing launch with it. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and it sort of derailed a couple of different efforts, but had an amazing conference uh, last year. Talk a little bit about it. What is the Heartland Summit? What do you hope to do with it? And what's one thing that just re- you walked away really inspired by from the last uh, the last summit? Yeah, so the last summit we just had May 11th and 12th of this year. Um, So we're excited. Gosh, it's so good to be back in person with people. So the summit will happen next year, fall of 2023. So mark your calendars. Um, But the summit brings to about 300 to 350 top thinkers and doers across the country, you know, in the heartland and in the coast, because we think the coast need the middle of the country as much as the middle of the country needs the coast. Um, but we talk about, you know, ideas and topics that that we can advance our economy um, and, and be a resource. So it's everyone from academia to philanthropy to business and industry, NGOs, entrepreneurs and investors, and really people that are wanting to not just come and talk about the opportunities, but actually go do something about it. Um, our first summit, we had an entrepreneur meet an investor and that investor became the second round of funding and that business is now scaling. So really cool things that come out of it. I would say um, this year, we were so fortunate to have such a dynamic group of attendees and um, and speakers. You know, We had everyone from Pharrell Williams talking about what he's doing and transforming education to Jamie Dimon talking about the future of business and industry to local mayors um, on both sides of the aisle. But I I think one of the best conversations um, we had um, was we had a Republican governor, Governor H- Asa Hutchison from Arkansas, and a Democratic governor, um, Governor Edwards from Louisiana, on stage with one of our founders of the summit, um, talking about how you work together how talking about how you work across party lines, talking about how they are actually friends <laughs> and they take, yes, they know that they're always going to disagree, um, but you have to meet in the middle. And it's, that is the tagline of the Heartland Summit is how do we meet in the middle and how do we put a spotlight on the issues we want to, um, we want to change and, and how do we do it together? And so I think it was a very unique um, conversation because not very many of us get to see two governors just talking about, um, you know, the issues and that it's not an R&D issue. I mean, we've talked a lot about it, issues today, John, that are nonpartisan. And so, um, you know, and one of the biggest compliments was Governor Edwards saying, you know, I wish I would have attended the Heartland Summit the first year I was in office. So that is our that is our challenge to get more policymakers there as they're starting. Um, and how do we meet in the middle and um, not just build the Heartland, but the entire country? Well, thanks for creating a space where people can meet in the middle and bridge their differences. Thanks for all you're doing to help build the next generation of builders. And just thank you for all you're doing to uh, to help improve the lives of so many people uh, in the heartland. So I know I walk away from every conversation with you even more excited 
and just more impressed. So Angie, thanks so much for, for the time today. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tech Enabled. And special thanks to Matthew Glavish and the AI's communications and digital strategy teams for their help in producing this episode. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. And while you're there, leave us a review. It helps others to find the show, and we always benefit from your feedback. We'll see you on the next episode.